Uh, we are in the book of Matthew, chapter 5. You can turn there with me if you're not already there. Uh, we're going to read uh, verses 43 through 48 today and finish up this portion uh, of what Jesus has been teaching in, in what's known as the Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew. Uh, Jesus goes up on a hill and he basically uh, expounds for people, uh, explains to people what it is to be a part of, how to get into the kingdom of heaven, and then how we should live once we're there. He's assured everybody, I'm not here to, you know, to, to undo everything that God has already done through uh, what you've been revealed or what has been revealed to you through the Old Testament texts and, and, the, and the Jewish religion or faith. But I am here to correct things and to, to, to complete those things that were started there uh, for you in your beliefs. Uh, he says correct, or he basically says I'm, I'm, here, I'm here to fulfill, because most people uh, had been taught things that weren't correct. Ever been taught something that wasn't correct and then found out later that you were using a certain tool or saying a certain word wrong? My, my son Ben came up to us one day and he says, you know, I really like that ballad. Uh, I'm like, do you mean ballad? Yeah, it's a song, Ben. It's not a ballad. It's a ballad. Anyway, uh, anybody ever said a word wrong or something like that? You just got, you were misinformed, you had something misconstrued. That's what Jesus has been doing. We've gone through uh, five areas of, of conversation. He's talked to us about murder and raised the bar there. He talked to us about adultery and taught us that sin can occur in our hearts. It doesn't have to be out here. If it happens in your mind or in your heart, it's as if you've done it with your hands. Uh, he talked to us about divorce and his standards for marriage. He talked to us about uh, making promises and let your word be your word. He talked to us last week, if you were here, about vengeance. And it's not eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth in the world that we live in. We are meant to turn the other cheek, uh, walk the extra mile. Anybody here for that one? Some of you were, I know. But now he's going to pop the cork on this, this big one. He's, uh, he's going to talk to us about love. So to kind of get us going, here's what I want you to do. Turn to someone next to you or if you're by yourself, turn to yourself. I don't know. Uh, or someone that you don't know. And answer these two questions. Who in your life is easy to love and who in your life is hard to love? Everybody got somebody? Maybe the hard one. Came first and not the easy one. Anyway, anyway, talk to each other, answer those questions. Who's it easy to love? Who's it hard to love? Go ahead. All right. Spouse is in the room. I set you up there. I hope if you're sitting next to her or him, you immediately said, well, you... Uh, for the easy to love. Uh, uh, anybody, who, who said someone from their family, the first one that was easy to love? Anybody say someone from your family, maybe your spouse, your kid, your parent, whatever, okay. Um, uh, when it came to hard to love, was that, a, was, that a, was that a fast answer for you? Did you have to think about? Some people have long lists of who it's hard to love and just a few here on the easy to love. Did anybody have the same person for both? Come on, parents, Right? That kid's super easy to love, but then sometimes, oh. Or come on, kids, parents, come on, right? Uh, at, from time to time, here, here's just the facts of life in, in the world that we live in. Uh, people are unlovely. Has anybody noticed that? Hard to love. And so the Jews had, had come to this truth, and they had... Basically, came out, they came up with this axiom, and Jesus quotes it here in Matthew 5, verse 43. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor, and then what they say? And hate your enemy. 
Sounds like us as humans, right? Love those who you love. Love those who love you. And hate those who don't. This was what was taught by the scribes and the Pharisees, the the top 1% of the thinking uh, groups in in the Jewish faith. Uh, They were on track with the first part. Love your neighbor is in their text, in their Old Testaments. Uh, Would it surprise you to know that there's nowhere in our Old Testament that says hate your enemy? They had inferred that, like we do when we infer things. We get kind of half the story and make the rest up for ourselves. Uh, They had inferred uh, that that, that the the love that they were meant to share, uh, as God commanded, was was only to be shared with those in their country, those who shared the same bloodlines. Fellow Jews were the ones that we are to love. They are our true neighbors. Now, they went to a text like this one in Leviticus chapter 19, where uh, it says in verse 17, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, uh, but you shall reason frankly with your, say Say it with me, neighbor, right? Unless you incur sin because of him. Uh, you shall, verse 18, uh, not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, further defining who a neighbor is, right? But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Who's heard that before? Jesus quoted that one, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. And then God signs his name. I am the Lord. Do what I say. And, and the Jews had historically taken this to mean we're going to love each other and hate everybody else. They went to the Psalms, and when uh, in Psalm 139, where, where God is, through the psalmist, saying, uh, you know, my wrath is poured out against, and, and I, I, I am against these people. They, they took what was meant to be this judicial judgment of God, and they said, this is our heart towards these people. We hate them. Because it seems, as the Psalms reports here, that God hates them. It's never been true. God is just, and he pours out his wrath uh, you know, rightly as God in certain situations, but that's his deal, right? Vengeance is his, says the Lord. It's not mine. My deal, as we're going to see, is to love. This is kind of the human ethic. Anyone who's not my neighbor, that is, anyone who does not agree with me, anyone who does not look like me, anyone uh, who is especially, anyone who is against me, these are not those that I love. These are my enemies. And we're all good Christians in here, or some of us are. We know we're not supposed to hate our enemies. We get that. But I want you to hear me today very clearly. The command is not simply not to hate. The command of those who follow Jesus is to love our enemies. I'm going to read that to you in just a second. But let's kind of keep uh, going through this whole concept of, of enemies. Sin has made us prone to making enemies. Now, we are in sin, preservers of self. We think we're right, and therefore you're wrong. And if you're wrong, we can't be friends. If you don't think like me, look like me, act like me, you're my enemy. This happens in political arenas. It happens in approaches to, uh, you know, uh, pandemics. Masks, not masks. Needles, not needles. Friendships have been lost over such things. Enemies have been made. Uh, Historically, uh, all of the, the human race has divided across religious lines, across racial lines. 
People in our neighborhoods make us crazy, like that guy in my neighborhood who will not leash his dog. I don't know why that dog keeps running around my neighborhood, but it is hard for me when I see that dog and I have to pick mine up while I'm walking not to feel a sort of hate. I'm just being honest towards the people who are making my life more difficult. This is kind of our mantra. I don't know who wrote this, source unknown, but it's a cute little poem. Believe as I believe, no more, no less, that I am right, no one else. Confess! Feel as I feel, think only as I think, eat what I eat and drink what I drink. Look as I look, do always as I do, and then and only then while I hang out with you. We laugh, but that's us. More so now, I think, than probably at any time in my life. It seems more pronounced. I'm sure the internet and everything else that's the 24-hour news cycle has just fed into this us and them mentality. But, it, you know, I can't blame them entirely. It's in us to be rivals with other people. You know, you read the story of, of humanity. Sin happens in Genesis 3. The next chapter in Genesis 4, two brothers... Uh, are, are the subject of a story where hate first occurs in the human race. You remember what happened? Cain and Abel both go to worship God. You know the story if you do. Cain's sacrifice kind of, you know, half in it, and God rejects it. Abel's uh, sacrifice, he brought his best. God accepts it. Cain was first jealous and envious of Abel, and then in his heart and in his mind, he concocted this, this narrative my brother is my, I'm not his keeper, he's my enemy. And he grew in his hatred for someone that we can only assume he loved before to the point where he took that brother's life. And so it's been in the human race. Every war, the product of hatred, rivalry, Difference and dissent. Shoot, just go to a, a sporting event. Uh, the Bucks are teeing it up here in a couple hours. I know some of you uh, are looking forward to a game like that. Can I just caution you, though? Uh, don't ever use the uh, first-person plural to describe your relationship with any sporting team. Uh, when you say that we're playing at 1 o'clock, you're incorrect. Unless you're going to like put on the helmet and the pads and run out there on the field and tackle somebody, you're not on the team. I know you got a jersey, but you're not paid to play. Settle down. They're playing the game. You as a fan will enjoy it and root for them to win, right? But this is what we do. We blur the lines. We make it personal and therefore visceral when we root for anybody, politics, plays, uh, or, or, or games, we, we, we become who we root for. And if you root against us, you are the enemy, right? I felt this. I went to a Rays Red Sox game years ago. Uh, you know, uh, somebody here at our church was a huge Rays fan, so he had season tickets, and he took me to a, a game seven. The Rays won, if you're wondering. Uh, but a game seven here in Tampa, and I wore my Red Sox jersey. I'm a Red Sox fan, unabashed, uh, but I was in enemy territory, right? And, uh, and so everybody's, you know, loudly cheering on their squad. But the guy in front of me was enjoying the game. Does everybody know what I'm talking about? 
And about, you know, six innings into, you know, a beer and inning, uh, this guy changed his focus on what was happening on the field to what was happening behind him, me. I was wearing a Red Sox jersey. So everything that happened that was bad for my team and good for his, he would turn around and with a drunk, angry finger, stick his finger in my face and be like, ah, ha, ha, ha. And I'm just going to confess to you right now. I, I didn't spend the night in jail. But this perfectly civil, God-fearing, God-honoring pastor of yours wanted to deck this guy on more than one occasion. And my, my attention was taken away from the contest. It was no longer about the Rays and the Red Sox. It was me and Bozo in seat B9 or whatever. And it was go time. And it was the, the sin of my old self that was welling up inside of me. That was leading me away from what God commands here and towards what the world endorses. See, the Jews, the scribes and the Pharisees, were kind of cherry-picking their own scriptures. If they had just kept reading, even here in that Leviticus passage that I was quoting to you earlier, they would have seen that God is not saying, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. Because just 15 verses after he says to love your neighbors and and your brothers and, and those who are from your country. He says this in verse 33 of Leviticus 19. He says, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, when a foreigner, an outsider, comes and hangs out, you should not do him any wrong. You should treat that, same, that stranger who hangs out with you as the native among you. He's one of you. And you shall love him as who? Yourself. And so here we go. Love your neighbor as yourself, verse 18, right? And now love the foreigner, the stranger, as yourself. I think we all went to math class as kids, right? If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. Everybody with me on that? Somebody like that. Sorry. If we are told to love our neighbors as ourselves, Jesus said that, right? And we are told to love a stranger as ourselves, then neighbor equals stranger. They're on the same footing in the economy of God's love. Let that be a, a word to our, uh, ourselves, a word, of, word to the wise. Keep reading. When you read your Bibles, don't stop and, and form your theology on just the first thing you land on. Read the whole thing and understand what God truly means when he says what he says. These these Jews hadn't understood that, and so Jesus here in Matthew 5 makes it clear, and he tells them and us, hey, I want you to love your enemies. Love your enemies. Just don't stop at not hating them, or, or don't stop at not expressing your hate for them. I'm telling you, if you're going to be a part of my kingdom, if you're going to follow me and my Father in the ways that we have prescribed you to live for you to live, you need to love your enemies. He says that. You have heard it said, Matthew 5, 43, that you shall love your, enemy and hate, or love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That word love there is the Greek word agape. It's a, a word that's not commonly used in the everyday vernacular of, of the Greek language back then. It was uh, a different kind of love than most were used to expressing. Agape love is a, a love that 
uh, isn't contingent on what the other person does. That's phileo love. It's brotherly love. It's neighbor love. You love me, I love you, we're good. But agape love says, I'm going to love you regardless. That's the kind of love that God loves us with. Anybody grateful that God loves us with this unconditional agape love? He, he says here, as Jesus makes this command, I want you to love that way. Uh, I want you to extend that kind of love to your enemies. Agape love is deliberate, it's intelligent, and it's determined. It's on purpose, it's well thought out, and it's unwavering in its expression to those who receive it. Jesus, in another part of our Bibles, as Luke reports a similar theme of preaching in Luke chapter six, says this about the same idea. He says, I say to you who hear, verse 27, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. He's a little more, um, clears up what maybe he's, he's trying to say when he tells us to love our enemies. He says it in three ways. We, we, first of all, actively love those who come against us. We do good to those who hate us. And then verbally, we speak well of or we bless those who curse us. And then spiritually, we pray for those who abuse us or persecute us. Let's talk through those one at a time doing good to our enemies, loving people who show hate towards us. We kind of talked about that last week, right? When we, we said when someone insults you and puts a, the back of a right hand to your right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also, right? If he asks you for your, your T-shirt, give him your jacket. If a Roman soldier makes you walk a mile, which was legal, uh, a law back then, then, then be willing to walk the other mile or our next mile or our next miles if that's what it takes. Uh, these are actions. These are things that we do. Love is a verb. It's what we do that, that registers in the lives of those that we love. And so we're to love. Like, like the Good Samaritan. Remember the story in Luke 10? The Good Samaritan just minding his own business. Uh, two perfectly uh, religious Jews have passed this stranger, another Jewish citizen who's been beat up and robbed. And, and the Good Samaritan, Jesus tells us, stops. Doesn't just stop and you know, see if he's doing okay. He actually tends to his wounds, throws him on his own, uh, you know, uh, uh, camel or donkey or whatever he was, you know, hauling, and, and takes this guy to the closest La Quinta and, and puts him up, you know, for, uh, as, there wasn't a La Quinta back then, but, but he puts him up for, for, you know, however long it takes until he's healed. He, he gives himself to love someone, don't miss this, who wasn't just not his neighbor, who in that culture was seen as his enemy. It'd be me, like me walking up to the, to the Rays fan who's just ah, 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 and saying, hey, can I get you some coffee? Looks like you need some. Anyway, uh, but me loving that guy instead of being like, and trying not to punch him. Are you with me? 9-11 had just happened in our world. Anybody remember 9-11? Uh, we were next door neighbors to a Muslim family. Uh, we didn't know them super well. They kind of kept to themselves. Uh, but we knew that they were devout. Their, uh, their uh, college-age son had just done his, uh, uh, his pilgrimage to Mecca, you know, uh, just months before 9-11 took place. Uh, if you were around back then, you remember that uh, uh, Muslims, people who looked Middle Eastern, 
uh, were kind of uh, stared at and seen differently for a season. And some of them still are uh, racial lines, religious lines. They divide us still. But especially in those days, it was just kind of eggshells, right? And, and many uh, from that, you know, uh, group had just taken to hiding, just didn't even want to face the potential scorn and, and uh, um, hatred uh, that was prevalent in many pockets of our world in that day. And so our neighbors had just kind of stayed in the house for a month, hadn't come out. Um, my wife uh, and my three little kids uh, drove up to Kroger and just bought a simple little bouquet of flowers. And uh, she and uh, our ducklings traipsed across the yard and I just stood at the door and knocked on the door and the mother uh, answered and, and Eleanor just said, hey, and this is our simple message, just want to know, we're your neighbors, we love you, and handed her these flowers. And this woman who didn't become our best friends, I wish I could tell you that she came to know Christ, I have no idea where she is, if she's still living today. I, I, all I know is at that moment, in that period of our history, for that woman, that was what she needed to hear. And this Christian and this Muslim cried together on the stoop of this house in Carrollton, Texas. And this command that Jesus has given us was enacted by my obedient wife. Uh, that should be the norm for those of us who live for Jesus. We're peacemakers and blessed when we are. We are bridge builders. Uh, we aren't out here to make enemies, we're here to love them by doing and acting on their behalf. We're here to bless them. When they curse us, we speak well of them. Come on now, let's go to work, everyone. Anybody got that coworker or that boss, that, that person who got the promotion instead of you, and when you and your other coworkers to get together, it is just, you know, let's roast this person all lunchtime long. Can I just let you know that slander Words of malice, even gossip, those are hate words. Those are words tainted by hate. You're like, I don't know. I mean, I don't think I hate the guy. Listen, just like darkness is the absence of light, hate is the absence of love. If you're saying something that's kind of leaning in the direction of hate, it's, it's probably not love. We as Christians have gotten wise to this, and so we have little phrases that we think make things okay to say. Like we'll say, well, bless her heart, and then just rip, right? You know, God rest there, you know, or whatever, and then rip. You know, I'm praying, you know, I got a prayer request for so-and-so, and then rip. Okay, I'm calling that out. We're not doing that anymore. In fact, my mom, you know, growing up, when my mom said uh, to me, uh, if you don't have anything good to say, yeah, just don't say it. Don't be a part of the slam fest. In fact, discipline yourself in love to speak well of those who you disagree with, who come against you. So the next time the president comes up, you don't join in with everybody else. You can disagree with his policies. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you got to agree with everyone. We can disagree, but we can disagree in love and still honor people that are against us. So we do 
for those who are against us. We, we speak well of those who are against us and we pray for those who persecute us. And, and it's not these prayers. Lord, smite so-and-so. Crush them like a grape between your almighty fingers. Remove him from this workplace, from this school that I go to, from this neighborhood, him and his dog. <laughs> Take them away. Free me. All right. God says, no, I don't want you to pray against them. Pray for those who persecute you. And can I just give you like, like a quick little prayer sermon? God asks us to pray what he asks us to pray for because those are the things that he desires to see in life. He wants us to pray. He wants us to love our enemies, and so praying for them will certainly you know, put us in that posture. But he, one of the reasons he asks us to pray is so that he can realign our thinking. Everybody gets that prayer is a conversation, right? Like it's not just me coming with my grocery list, and especially in, 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 you know, in terms of our enemies. Here's what I want you to do to them. Okay, He wants us to stay in that prayer long enough for us to kind of get tired of all the hate and vitriol and all of the against kind of things so that we can get to the point where he can talk to us and be like, uh, hey, Mark, don't you think I love the guy who has the dog? Well, yeah, probably. But that dog's a pain, Lord. Yeah, but don't you know I created him just like I created you in my image to be... Uh, uh, someone who worships and glorifies my name. And, and as someone who does, as best you can, worship and glorify, me, glorify my name, don't you think I'd rather have you in that person's life making a difference for me and my kingdom rather than uh, having you shaking an angry fist at him as a bad neighbor? You think that might be a possibility, Mark? This is how God talks to me. I don't know how he talks to you. But as I pray, God changes my heart. He rewires my thinking. He gets me on his page. If I'll let him turn me in that conversation towards him. So yeah, we pray for those who persecute us. It's, it's a right thing to do. It's a loving thing to do. I think the reason that Jesus, uh, you know, is reported as mentioning this in both Matthew and Luke is like, hey man, God just wants to draw us in and, and have this conversation so that we can get to where his heart is for the world that we live in. Jesus in Matthew uh, gives some reasons. Anybody ever been uh, reading the Bible and heard you know, that you're supposed to do something? You're like, well, I don't like that. Why should I have to do that? Jesus gives us two great reasons as to why we should love our enemies. The first one is this. He wants us to love our enemies because it makes us look most like the Father when we do. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Verse 45, so that you may be sons and daughters of your Father who is in heaven. He's not talking about our adoption. He's, he's already assuming that that has happened, that our faith is in God and that we've, we've, we've followed him and we, honor, we want to honor him. We're in his kingdom. He's saying, listen, if you want to be a, 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 a member in good standing, a, a, an honorer of God in the kingdom that he has given you, then be like him. Be a chip off the old block. Emulate him in his love. And just so we're clear, he loves 
his enemies. He says that in the next sentence. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. That ever bothered you? God, why'd you bless him? That guy's a loser. I mean, he's a grade A tool. I don't even like that guy. But he got the promotion and not me. He, he got the boat and not me. He, you know, got those kids. Look at mine. Huh. And kind of be jealous and even angry at a God who has the power to give and not give. And be like, what are you doing? But God, again, just kind of looks down on us. He's like, oh, buddy, they're there. I love everybody. I'm just. I'm not going to let sin just kind of go. But, but I want you to know, even the worst of the worst of the worst, I demonstrated my love for you and for them. When while you and they were still sinners, I sent Christ to die for you. That's where my love goes. My, my love is determined. My love is well thought out, and my love is unwavering. And that's the love that I have for everybody. The the theologians call it common grace. God loves everyone, and so should we. Not agree with everyone, but even in our disagreement, seek to love them, even if they're against us. He gives a second reason. He says loving our enemies doesn't only just make us like our father, it makes us least like the world that we live in. Look what he says in verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? He's like, seriously, guys? You're going to go with love your neighbor and hate your enemies? Really? You guys get the, like, the, the, the people that you hate the most, tax collectors. They do that. How does that differentiate you from the rest of the world? Everybody gets the tax collectors were reviled back then. Jesus loved them. He called one to be one of his disciples. That's Matthew. He called Zacchaeus out of a tree to have lunch with him, and Zacchaeus' life was changed forever. But the rest of Israel was not hanging with the tax collectors. You know who was hanging with the tax collectors? Other tax collectors. They'd get it at the union meetings, and they'd be like, hey, Bob, who are you ripping off this month? Oh, Carl, it's great to see you. Yeah, I totally gouged my neighborhood. It's awesome. And they'd hug it out because they had to. Everybody else hated them. But Jesus says, hey, man, seriously, that's your standard? This is one of those things, too. We kind of evaluate ourselves way too much this way, don't we? We're better than so-and-so. We love a little bit more, or at least as good as a tax collector. And God's like, hey, this is our standard. Compare yourself to me, not them. He goes on and he says, listen, not just tax collectors. Listen, in in verse 47, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than than the other people who live in this world? Don't even the Gentiles do that? Gentiles there is the Greek word ethnikos. He's basically saying, doesn't everybody else do that? You know, he's basically saying, hey, I think if you're going to be in my kingdom, we should have a step-up life. There should be something more about us when it comes to love than just exists in the world in a natural way. Setting. He's basically doing this. Good for you. You passed the early portion of the test. Anybody ever watch like one of these game shows like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, right? Anybody ever notice that the first few questions in any of these game shows are like complete punts? I mean, they're just like gimmies, right? So Regis gets up there. Okay. Uh, what is two plus two? A, 70. B, one billion. C, four. D, none of the above, Right? 
And you're sitting there in the chair and you're like, uh, man, it's a tough one, Reg. Uh, but I'm going to go with C4. Are you sure you want to phone a friend or, you know, no, I think I got this one, Regis. Two plus two is four. Final answer? Yes. And then it's, it's just, if you were wondering, it is four. It is four, just so you know. And people kind of, you know, politely clap because they know the harder questions are coming, but they're not like, wow, you got two plus two? And God's looking at, at his people and he says, wow, you love your neighbors? Oh, good for you. The worst people in the world love their neighbors. He, he finishes this way. In Matthew 5, 48, he says this. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And there, there was a panic that overcame the church when we read that one. Because we're all like, oh, no, I'm not even close to perfect. Okay, this is when you kind of got to read and understand things in the context they're written in. Certainly, God wants us to aspire to his perfection. He says uh, when Peter writes that we should be holy as God is holy and that we should all seek to be as much like our Heavenly Father as we possibly can. But in the context where Jesus says this, he's talking about this love that God has for not just his neighbors but for his enemies. And this word perfect is the Greek word teleos. Everybody say teleos. Teleos is a word that is translated rightly perfect, but it also means complete, finished, the whole enchilada, if you will. And so here's what we do as humans. We kind of cherry pick. We're going to love this much. We're going to love the ones that are easy to love. We're going to love our neighbors. We're going to love the people that are in our family, those who go to our church. But if you're across the divide that is our politics, or if you're on the other side of some race or religious disagreement or, or, or whatever, if you're not us, you're you're not loved. And what Jesus is saying is like, that's an imperfect love. That's an incomplete love. Good for you, two plus two. But God loves in a deeper, more difficult way. He loves his enemies. And he's calling you and I who follow him to do the same. So I asked you at the beginning of this service, hey, who is it hard to love? I didn't ask who do you hate, because you all would have got that one. No one. But who's hard to love? Everybody's got someone. Here's what I want you to do with that person this week. Like literally, I want you to do this. I want you to figure out who that is. And then I want you to do something that's loving towards that person. Regardless of what they do in return, bake them a cake, no x lax right? Do something that's loving for that person. Say something that is a blessing about that person. And catch yourself when you're finding yourself wanting to curse uh, and, and, and say things that would be malicious and wrong about them. Most of all, or as much, I want you to pray for that person. In fact, I'm going to just give us some, some space here so that you can start that one right now. I want you to pray to your heavenly Father for his grace to rest upon this person who has um, historically been one of your enemies. I want you to pray for them. Uh, and then I want you to pray for God's heart for that person. God bless them and then bless me with love for them. So I can be more like you. Everybody ready to do that? Let's bow our heads. I'm just going to be quiet. You pray those things for that person right now.
Father, we want to thank you for your love to us when we were your enemies. Uh, by your grace and through your mercy, uh, your love drew us to faith in Jesus Christ. And we are now counted uh, amongst your family. We're, we're reconciled to you because of the work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In this life that we've been given with you, we want to be more like you, and we know that that includes loving our enemies. We're not very good at that uh, most of the time, Father. Forgive us. But with this one person that we've been thinking about, would you grant us uh, um, the discipline this week to think about them differently? Give us love for them in our hearts. A love that, that doesn't just not hate, but goes uh, into action and does things for them that are loving. A love that speaks well of them when we speak of them. A love that uh, drives us to our knees in prayer for them. Give us that kind of love. Uh, for those who disagree with us, come against us, don't look like us, give us love. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Lord, help us love. Speaking of love, if you love your kids, they're behind that building. Go get them. Have a great week. God bless you as you go.